Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question. We're done with the season. We've recapped all the teams. What do we do now? Uh, well, podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> so, Joey, what do you do for fun? Uh, you mean like when there's no college football? Yeah, I drink too. Uh, yeah, dilly dilly. <laughs> um, I wait for college football to come back. Yeah, right. Travel, get stuff done around the house. I guess. I don't know. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, there, there's there's a nice like exhale point after football season is over and i think we've talked about this a little bit you know you're you're so consumed by football season for weeks and months on end and then you know that first month or so afterwards it's like it's kind of nice to like do stuff on saturdays and not have to worry about like what you're going to be missing um so i've kind of been enjoying that to a certain degree you yeah uh same of course, I'm doing this whole like launching a website thing, so I realize it's like kind of hard when there's no college football to like think about stuff to write about, and then you just kind of find stuff. Yeah, you get creative. You you have to. You have no po- you have no choice. I mean, once you get past National Signing Day, now it's like okay, spring games are starting in like two months, and then oh, summer workouts. Oh, okay, another couple months pass. Oh, college football's back. Well, speaking of getting creative, Mike, that's what we're going to keep doing. Uh, for those who, for those, that was a segue. For those who listen to our podcast for the last year or so, you'll know that we uh, we keep going through the off season. We keep talking about ACC football. We start talking about some other things, you know, either college football in general or just totally unrelated. So, um, if there's something you guys want to hear us talk about, hit us up. But we got some things that we got to catch up on here, Mike. Uh, it's been a been a few weeks since we've done a, a just a general update. Um, and, and one of the things that's happened since we last did that was we got an official 2018 ACC football schedule uh, that came out here uh, a few weeks ago. We never really have had a chance to talk about the schedule at large. And so I, I wanted to look at this a little bit and just talk about maybe some general trends. Um, one of the things that I noticed first you know, out of the gate was uh, with this scheduling deal with Notre Dame. Right. So Notre Dame is going to have a home game against Florida State. Uh, neutral site against Syracuse, uh, road game at Wake Forest, a home game against Pittsburgh, and a road game against your Virginia Tech Hokies, all scattered throughout the season. So again, that's Florida State, Syracuse, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, and Virginia Tech. Uh, I felt like that's a pretty good sort of distribution of folks through the upper middle into the kind of lower portions of the ACC. I think a pretty good barometer for figuring out where Notre Dame stands in the hierarchy, if you, if you will, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, Notre Dame, I mean, outside of the ACC, Michigan's back on their schedule too. So as a Notre Dame fan, I'm excited to see them play Michigan again and having them back in the fold. But as far as the ACC schedule is concerned, a couple of tough road games here. I mean, at Wake Forest, not the easiest game in the world at Virginia tech, definitely not an easy game. Uh, you know, the home game against Pitt, you know, I think that obviously favors Notre Dame. And then end of November, or I'm sorry, November 10th, you got Florida State in South Bend. Florida State, you, you know, if you're a Florida State fan um, traveling to the game, 
Uh, good luck with that weather. And if you're a player who's used to that nice, warm Florida heat and you go up to South Bend and it's like, you know, early November, nice and chilly, that game doesn't favor Florida State at all in my mind. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting distribution as far as the ACC games are concerned. Uh, Notre Dame does have a neutral site game against Syracuse that you mentioned at Yankee Stadium uh, on November 17th. And that's, I guess, their last de facto home game. Um, But it is a neutral site game there at Yankee Stadium. So, yeah, a nice even distribution. I think, you know, you have Syracuse, who has a very interesting offense that Notre Dame will have to defend. Florida State should be much better next season. Pittsburgh should be improved. Virginia Tech and Blacksburg, I think the Hokies will only get better, at least on offense. Defensively, uh, you know, they're losing so much. The jury's kind of still out. And then at Wake Forest, that becomes kind of a little bit of a difficult game for Notre Dame just because Wake Forest has a lot returning outside of John Wolford. So it'll be interesting to see where Notre Dame stacks out here in the ACC. But I do think it's a it's a schedule that, you know, as far as ACC games are concerned, is pretty competitive. I want to look, Mike, at who has what I would consider the toughest schedule, what I would consider the easiest schedule, and what I would consider maybe the most interesting schedule, I would say. Um, for me, I, I'm looking at this, and the toughest schedule in my mind, I think, is Pittsburgh. Agree. Um, agree, agree. Home game against Penn State, on the road at UCF, on the road at Notre Dame, uh, with a crossover game on the road at Wake Forest. Um there is a lot of potential for that to get real difficult. And that's not even including any of their normal coastal opponents. You know, they finished the, the season at Miami. Um, they've got a road game at North Carolina, obviously Georgia tech, Virginia tech. Those are both home games. Um, and then a home game against Syracuse. Like this, this could be a very difficult schedule for the Panthers next year, even as they're rebuilding and should be better. I think. Yeah, Penn State's going to be a top 10 team. You get them the second week of the year. You get Georgia Tech at home, but Georgia Tech's going to be really good. North Carolina on the road. Uh, you know, we'll see juries out on them at Central Florida. I mean, UCF, they went undefeated this year. Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say they'll probably take a step back next year because they won't have Scott Frost, but that team's uber talented. I mean, they do have a lot of a lot of guys returning that'll really help. Um, at Notre Dame, middle of October, not easy. And then the stretch at the end of November, you're home against Virginia Tech, which is good, right? I mean, you get the Hokies at home. You have a pretty good track record against Virginia Tech when you play them at Heinz Field. But you play Virginia Tech at home, then on the road at Wake, on the road at Miami to close out the regular season. I mean, that's a really, really tough stretch there for Pittsburgh. Easiest schedules that stick out to me, um, probably Virginia. And now I'm also realizing North Carolina, um, both of them are in the elite class of teams in the ACC that only have one, uh, power five out of conference game. Uh, North Carolina is at Cal at East Carolina home against UCF and home against Western Carolina. Honestly, I think that's probably more difficult than Virginia, which is home against Richmond at Indiana home against Ohio home against Liberty. Um, Virginia is, is seems to be hedging their bets a little bit here, like really hell bent on getting to a bowl game next year. In my mind, um, I I don't know. I I'll throw out there, Mike, too, that I thought Virginia tech, at least just with their out of conference schedule sets up kind of easily, but they also have, you know, they open the season against Florida state and have Notre Dame in there. So to me, Virginia schedule really damn easy in, in, 2018 about as easy as you're going to get in the coastal division um 
I, I, I'm not impressed with what they did. and I'm, I, They damn well better make a bowl game next year or else Bronco Mendenhall is going to be in a, a very, very hot pot of water. Yeah, I mean, they made a bowl game this year, kind of, and then they got blown out by a Navy team that went, what, seven and six? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, Virginia needs to take the six wins that they were able to get this past season, parlay it into at least six wins next season with an easier schedule that you mentioned. Uh, the out-of-conference slate, I mean, Liberty's on there. You play Richmond at Indiana at home against Ohio. You know, we overlooked that Richmond game, but you remember what Richmond did to UVA two years ago in Bronco Mendenhall's debut, and it wasn't pretty. Uh, but looking at the schedule, I mean, Virginia is much better now, but looking at the rest of the schedule, home against Louisville, that should be a winnable game. You're at NC State, which will be tough. Home against Miami, obviously tough. At Duke is winnable. Home against North Carolina, probably winnable. Home against Pittsburgh, probably winnable. I mean, you should you should get to six wins. Uh, with this schedule, especially considering the out-of-conference slate that I mentioned earlier for Virginia. Um, you mentioned Virginia Tech. It's an easy schedule, but it's not an easy schedule. Um, you're at Florida State, but you got three tough games, like three real, real tough games. You have at Florida State, home against Notre Dame, home against Miami, and that's before we mentioned the Thursday night home game against Georgia Tech. You get Those are your four toughest games. Three of those are at home. So it's a tough schedule for Notre Dame, but it's not because of how it kind of falls. But having Florida State in the opener um, on Labor Day night is a difficult draw for Virginia Tech. But considering what they always play in the out-of-conference schedule, uh, I, I, as a fan, I'm happy that they're playing up and, and having more difficult opponents on their schedule. You do get Notre Dame. Uh, you do draw Florida State in the cross-division um, the cross division matchup there on the road. So I do like that. And then North Carolina's schedule, you know, you, you brought this up. Uh, it's it's kind of a middle-of-the-road schedule for me. I mean, you're at Cal, at East Carolina. East Carolina is going to be bad. Home against UCF, that's going to be a tough game. But you do get that at home. Home against Pitt is a toss-up game. At Miami is tough. Home against Virginia Tech is tough. You get a home game against Georgia Tech. So it's obviously good that you get that game at home. And then you're home at NC State to close out the year, which is obviously the annual rivalry game. I mean, North Carolina is going to be rebuilding anyway. Obviously, they're coming off a really tough year because they were so hurt. But, you know, I think North Carolina has the pieces in place in the schedule to at least get back to bowl eligibility and maybe a little bit more than that, depending on how well they play and their tougher games on their schedule. Interesting schedule to me, Mike. Uh, the one that really sticks out is Boston College. Um, really interesting out of conference slate, um, home against UMass, home against Holy Cross on the road at Purdue, home against Temple to me. And by the way, those are four of their first five games of the year. They mix in at Wake Forest on a Thursday night in the middle of all that. So you're talking about a Boston college team that traditionally does not start out the season all that quick against four teams that. I think you go anywhere between one and three and four and oh in that stretch. Um, really curious to see what they do there. And then not to mention that we should, we, I mean, they've got a five game stretch in, in the, uh, in their season. That is Louisville, Miami at Virginia tech Clemson and at Florida state. And that's five games in a row. There's a bye week after Louisville and, and granted what Louisville is supposed to be next year. I don't have high hopes, but at the very least, you know, 
four games in a row, Miami on a Friday uh, at Virginia Tech, Clemson, and Florida State. That's about as tough of a four-game stretch you're going to find on anybody's schedule in the entire conference all year. Super interesting schedule to me for Boston College. And I got to tell you, this this is just screaming seven and six to me, Mike. Where? I mean, I, where? <laughs> I mean, I had seven the same wins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where? That's And that's where I'm at, too, with BC. It's like we kind of know what we're going to get. And their offense was really good the second half of this year because they found a running game and they leaned on that. They have UMass and Holy Cross to open up the year at Wake, which is a toss-up game. You're at Purdue. Purdue should be pretty decent next year. Home against Temple. That's a winnable game for Boston College. But at NC State will be tough. We don't know about Louisville. But what we do know is that Miami, Virginia Tech, Clemson, and Florida State are all going to be good. And that could potentially be four losses there, especially when you're considering that the easiest game on on that stretch of four games is probably Virginia Tech, but you have them on the road. So... Yeah, I don't know where the six or seven wins come. You got to beat Syracuse to close out the year. That could end up being a huge game for Boston College, potentially for bowl eligibility. Um, and you know, Joey, let me know if we've heard that one before because I feel like we've said frequently here that hey, BC's bowl hopes could come down to that final game of the year. Oh, look, they're playing like Wake Forest or Syracuse in a winnable game or Duke at the end of the year. Let's see if BC can win and get to bowl eligibility. I feel like we play that game every year and we look at the schedule. Yeah, and it just gets way too interesting. All right, here, here's where I'm at on this, Mike. Uh, three and one out of conference, wins against UMass, Holy Cross, Temple, lost, or well, let's, three wins out of conference. We'll start there. Uh, win at home against Louisville, win at home against Syracuse. I think I'll, I'll give you that, Boston College. And then you need to go two and, I mean, you need to win probably two and one against Wake on the road, Purdue on the road, NC State on the road, and maybe two and two against those three and then Virginia Tech on the road. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I see what you're saying, though. I see, I see what you're saying. This this probably bottoms out at like five and seven. It might top off at like six and six. It's not a talent thing. I mean, I think BC's talent is fine. I just – uh you know, that's a brutal schedule. I mean, especially there in the latter part of October and then throughout the first three weeks of November. I mean, that Miami Miami at home at Virginia Tech, home against Clemson at Florida State is an absolutely brutal stretch. Um, thankfully for BC, they do get Syracuse at home to close out the year. If they had to go to a carrier dome, like <laughs> that would be really, really rough. Really, really rough. At the very least, it's not great matchup wise. Like if if this is the schedule that like Florida State is playing, all right, you feel a little better about that. But with where Boston College is and where Wake and Purdue are right now, I mean, those are kind of toss ups that you don't feel great about being on the road. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Boston College found a way to start the season like five and zero, and then beat Louisville and Syracuse and finish. Guess what, Mike? Seven and five. Surprise. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. That's a tough schedule. But, Mike, anything else that sticks out to you schedule-wise in the ACC here? No, I think we've just about covered it. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting little notes in here. Uh, I got some Friday night games through the year. Uh, I also noticed in week seven, there is a precise one game involving Atlantic teams as Louisville is on the road at Boston College and the other five Atlantic teams are all on a bye week. Uh, So that's you know, that's cool. That'll, that'll make for a short preview podcast that week. Let's say that. 
That will. Um, Even that's spy Yeah, for real. Uh, Mike, let's move on. Something else that's happened since we last convened for uh, for general purposes. We had National Signing Day. Uh, we got got some crutes in the door. Uh, I feel like this is a bit of a weird year for this. At um, the very least, you know, there was kind of a, 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 a change in the balance of power nationally as Alabama was knocked off their throne of the number one recruiting class, and they didn't even finish anywhere close. They were like seven or eight if I remember correctly. But um, the thing is that I think part of that had to do with Florida state and a coaching change. Um, you know, that, that coaching staff having to scramble together a, a recruiting class fairly late, they still did well. They finished third in the conference and 11th overall uh, Miami finishes second in the conference and eighth overall. And with the single smallest class in the conference uh, with the exception of Duke, so second smallest in the conference and the best recruiting class in the conference. So by far the, uh, you know, pound for pound best class in the conference, that would be Clemson uh, finished sixth in the uh, sixth in the country with only 17 signees. Uh, five of them were five-star players. Seven of them were four-star guys, Mike. Um, I don't know how they were able to do that, you know, to be that efficient with those few number of scholarships, but for reference, they had five five-star players in this recruiting class. The rest of the conference combined had one. Um, and that's looking at the 24-7 sports composite. Unbelievable job by Clemson with a small class to to get as much bang for their buck as they did here. They get the top player in the country in Trevor Lawrence at the quarterback position, 6'6", 208. Everybody's been talking about him for years. He's going to be a phenomenal player if he lives up to the hype. Now, Clemson has a quarterback problem, and you know it's not that Kelly Bryant isn't good or athletic. It's that he really can't throw the ball down the field, which seems like a requirement if you're going to play quarterback in the ACC. Um, mm-hmm. Now, he's good enough to not play Clemson out of games, if that makes sense, which is why Clemson was in the position they were in this past year, because you know, outside observers can look at this and they can say, oh, well, you know, he got them to a college football playoff. What can you possibly be talking about? Well, yeah, but they couldn't move the ball in Alabama because he couldn't throw it. And that's really where the problem where the problem lies for Clemson. But, you know, they have Hunter Johnson on the roster. I'm curious to see if they give him an opportunity in spring camp to compete for a starting quarterback job. And if they're not going to give Hunter Johnson an opportunity, they're sure as hell better give Trevor Lawrence an opportunity because we know that Dabo Swinney doesn't care about what your grade is or how old you are or if you're a senior if you're a freshman i mean he's he played deshaun watson as a freshman that turned out all right uh minus the acl tear but all things considered turned out all right i mean watson had 14 touchdowns and two picks at the time he got hurt um and and trevor lawrence is a different type of quarterback he's a pro style quarterback but he's extremely he's extremely athletic has a huge arm and he has a great opportunity to coming to Clemson and produce right away. Um, whether or not that becomes the case is really up to Dabo and his coaching staff because um, they're going to have to try to get the most out of the quarterback position next season if they want to be in a position to win another national championship. You know, they got Xavier Thomas, a defensive end, KJ Henry, another defensive end, two five-stars. They added a five-star offensive tackle and Jackson Carmen, uh, Darion Kendrick, a 6'1", 184-pound five-star wide receiver. So, you got skill position, you got offensive line depth, and now you got two defensive ends to backfill for a defensive line that's already going to be deep for Clemson. Of course, they're returning 
uh, some of their top performers off the of last year's team that they were expecting to go to the NFL draft, guys like Christian Wilkin, Christian Wilkins and the like. Uh, so Clemson's class is absolutely loaded, and that's just some of the five-star guys. You mentioned Florida State, Joey. I want to touch on them real quick. Florida State has this class right now that's 11th, that finished 11th nationally, 21 total recruits that they signed. And Florida State was in a position, like you mentioned, where they had a coaching change mid-cycle. Jimbo Fisher went to Texas A&M, took some recruits with him. But for Florida State to still end up third in the ACC and 11th overall and get the number of recruits that they did, I thought really speaks to the fact that they have an opportunity with this new coaching staff uh, to really hit the ground running. And um, it's extremely impressive that Willie Taggart was able to put that class together uh, for Florida State. And then the one guy that sticks out for me for Miami, um, and, and Miami comes in second best class in the ACC, number eighth overall in the country. Um, everybody's going to talk about Lorenzo Lingard. He's a six foot running back, 190 pounds, five star. But the guy to watch here is pro style quarterback Jaron Williams, 6'2, 206. He's a four star. All the talk has been about the quarterback position with Miami because they were in a position to potentially go to a college football playoff. They stumbled down the stretch because. You know, they faced off against defenses that were able to expose their weakness in the downfield passing game, much like Clemson's. And Malik Rozier was a guy who, like you mentioned in the Miami recap, Joey, um, Malik Rozier completed less than 50% of his passes six times out of the 13 games they played this past year. I mean, that's not very good if you're trying to compete for a national championship, which is obviously what Miami's trying to do. They have Nikosi Perry on the roster. Malik Rozier is going to be a senior. If they don't give Nikosi Perry a shot, Jaron Williams is a guy who could step in, maybe not right away, but maybe he could get into the rotation as a four-star quarterback and maybe provide Miami with a little bit more of a downfield passing game. I talked to our buddy Cam Underwood on Mark Rogers TV um, on signing day about Jaron Williams, and he said he's got a huge arm. He's got um, a high football IQ, um, and from all the film that he's watched on Jaron Williams, he could be a phenomenal player. So that's the one guy that sticks out for me. Uh, for Miami, that's the one prospect that everybody's talking about. Maybe he'll make an impact down the road, but in my mind, he has an opportunity to make an impact right away for the Hurricanes. Another team that stuck out to me, Mike, here finished fourth in the conference and in the top 25 nationally is North Carolina. Um, coming off of a, a tough rebuilding year where it wasn't always all that pretty. And, and Interestingly, kind of what it indicates is there are so many young players playing that there's not a whole lot of early playing time available necessarily. Um, then again, there might be all, all sorts of opportunity to unseat guys who weren't really performing all that well. And yet North Carolina still comes away with a pretty strong recruiting class here, all things told. Again, fourth in the conference, uh, six four-star players, uh, several, you know, a couple of guys in the top 100 nationally, uh, another couple in the, the top 250 nationally. Really impressive job here that, that Larry Fedora did in recruiting and getting this program stocked back up with some talent. Uh, really interested to see what these guys can turn into over the next couple of years for the Tar Heels. Yeah, North Carolina has been losing a lot of in-state recruiting battles, and it's not to an in-state school. It's They're losing in-state recruits to Virginia Tech, and a big push by the Hokies has been the NC2VT movement. It's been a hashtag that's been trending on Twitter. So what does North Carolina do to combat that? They just go get guys from other states. They get a dual-threat quarterback in Jace Reuter from Norton, Kansas, four-star guy, 6'3", 205, dual-threat. Um, they get Matt Flint, uh, you know, a three-star outside linebacker, six-foot-and-a-half, 213, out of Alabama. They go to Georgia. They get another quarterback in Cade, 4'10", uh, 6'2", 207, 
I mean, this, these are the types of players they signed. William Barnes, a four-star offensive tackle out of Florida. Jordan Adams, a four-star wide receiver. Um, they were able to keep him in the state of North Carolina, but he was getting a lot of pull from um, school, other schools in the ACC. And then I, I believe it was Georgia that also had a hand in on, on Jordan Adams. And as we know, Georgia had the top-ranked recruiting class, so it was good that North Carolina was able to keep him in state. But the point of this is North Carolina was able to look elsewhere um, not just within the state of North Carolina, they were able to pull in recruits from outside of the state. Larry Fedora and his staff did an excellent job still turning this into a top 25 recruiting class. A team that disappointed me, Mike, and I, I don't know how much this should disappoint me as much as it kind of disappoints me relative to what they have been kind of recently and what maybe they need to be is Virginia. Uh, coming in 13th in the conference, um, outside the top 50 or 60 nationally, um, really not a, an inspiring job being done so far by Bronco Mendenhall and his staff in recruiting. Um, something that has t- clearly taken a step back from the Mike London days in, at Virginia. I'm questioning how Bronco Mendenhall is going to get this program back on track if he's not pulling in you know, some pretty uh, top-notch talent, if you will. Um, this is this is not up to the standard that there was set before. Is is this cause for concern for the Cavaliers, or are we thinking a couple of these guys are maybe some more under the radar types who uh, will really fit the system and, and become big time players for the Cavs? It's been a cause for concern since they made the hire, and you and I were talking about this. It was you know Bronco Mendenhall and his staff. They're coming all the way across the country to unchartered territory in an area where they have never recruited. And so how are they going to turn around what was a two-win football team in Virginia before he got there and, and turn it into something and and turn it around and get them to consistent bull berths and have them compete down the line in the Coastal Division? And they ended up having two wins his first year. They ended up with six wins this past year. But they're losing a lot off that team. And now you come in with a 13th-ranked class in the conference and the 63rd-ranked class overall, according to 24-7 Sports. It's not great, and it's not encouraging, and they haven't been winning battles in Virginia. I mean, we talk about North Carolina and how the Tar Heels have, you know, they struggled on the field this past year, and they were losing they were losing in-state recruits to Virginia Tech, but North Carolina was able to combat that, and they were able to pull in players from elsewhere, and that's what Virginia tried to do as well, but Virginia was a lot less successful at pulling in those types of players that North Carolina pulled in, the four-star caliber player. They didn't have a single four-star in their class, Virginia, and that's a problem. And three stars are the foundation of a football program, but four and five stars win you a championship or or get you to a college football playoff or, or win you an ACC title. And Virginia is nowhere near any of that right now, but if that that's where they want to get to, they need to start signing those four-star guys again like they were doing under Mike London. It's almost the complete opposite. It's, it's like you, you take away Mike London and – you know, you're hoping that the play on the field, the product on the field gets better. But at the same time, you're also taking away these four-star players that Mike London was pulling in within the state of Virginia. He was beating Virginia Tech out for guys that the Hokies were interested in. And recruiting is definitely going to take a hit because of who you hired in Bronco Mendenhall coming from the West Coast. But you're hoping that, you know, the play on the field, since that has seemingly improved a little bit uh, since Bronco Mendenhall's gotten there, you're hoping the recruiting catches up as they begin to learn the area. But Definitely not encouraging when you're the 13th ranked class in the ACC in your third recruiting cycle if you're Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia. Mike, if you look back from 2011 through 2014, 
Virginia every year finished nationally between 23 and 33 recruiting wise, like really solid. And now we're talking about outside the top 60. Um, that's a pretty drastic difference when you're talking about relative to a lot of other power five teams, you know, you're playing in a power five conference, you know, even, even in the ACC, maybe not quite the recruiting clout that the SEC has, that's still significantly behind a lot of the other teams in the coastal division. And as I mentioned, I mean, that's a, uh, that, that's the second worst in the conference and it's worse in the coastal division. That's worse than Duke. It's worse than Pitt, Georgia tech, everybody. So I don't know how Bronco Mendenhall closes this gap at this point. Um, if, if he's not going to be able to recruit at some level anywhere near what Mike London was doing. Um, so I, we'll have to see how that goes moving forward. Uh, anyone else, Mike, that you wanted to hit on uh, recruiting-wise? Uh, Virginia Tech had another solid class under Justin Fuente. They finished just behind North Carolina, ironically, in the um, ACC ranks. And um, overall, Virginia, had, Virginia Tech had a very good class. It seven four-star recruits, 19 three-star recruits, um, and you know a pretty solid class, 24th nationally. Uh, highlighting the class, Trey Turner, a six foot four wide receiver. Um, they also have Alan Tisdale, a four star outside linebacker. Both of those players were from Greensboro, North Carolina. They also pulled in DJ Crossin, a uh, a three star cornerback out of Greensboro, North Carolina, as well. So Greensboro was the area that the Hokies were really hitting hard trying to recruit. Uh, a couple other guys, Dax Hollifield out Shelby, North Carolina. He he signed on National Signing Day. Um, had it down between. Um, the Hokies, the Tar Heels, and then Stanford, and ultimately chose Virginia Tech. And that was a big get of National Signing Day. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Quincy Patterson, four-star quarterback, member of the Elite 11. Uh, he's out of Chicago, Illinois. So Virginia Tech's doing a really nice job, not only recruiting within the state of Virginia, but recruiting elsewhere as well, You know, stretching into North Carolina and then going out to Illinois to get a guy like Quincy Patterson, a quarterback, who could be an uh, impact player for the Hokies behind center here down the line. While we're talking about it, I'll throw in there for Georgia Tech. Uh, I was really happy with the Jalen King, James Graham, Justice Dingle, and TK Chimeza signings. Um, the top four players on 24-7, you're talking about a hell of a cover corner, uh, potential quarterback or safety or wide receiver in Graham who can do a lot and could be a really dynamic playmaker. Justice Dingle, a guy that can really get after the passer from the pass rush position, should really fit nicely in their 3-4 scheme coming up. And TK Chimed's a pretty big body defensive tackle that they've struggled to find in recent years, but I think should really uh, fill that need very well again in either a nose tackle or maybe even a big defensive end kind of role uh, in Nate Woody's new defensive scheme. Um, lots of other. Sorry, go Chimedza, ahead. Is Chimedza from IMG? He's Georgia. from the IMG Academy. He's yeah. like the first one that Georgia Tech's gotten out of there, maybe ever. Yeah. I saw something about that. That's why I was curious. Yeah, he looks like a hell of a player. I, I'm pretty excited to have him at Georgia Tech. Um, lots of other guys, too, that I think Georgia Tech in general doesn't get a great uh, a great rap, especially from 24-7 sports. So I, that's, I typically lean towards rivals when I'm looking towards ratings. Um, but in, in any case, I mean, what you've seen from Georgia Tech in recent years is uh, kind of slow, gradual improvement in recruiting. Um, definitely nothing drastic, but the fact that they're signing multiple, you know, composite four-star players this year is pretty drastic improvement over what it was a few years ago. Um, and, and you're starting to, so you're starting to see the, the fruits of, you know, more support towards the recruiting aspect of things, uh, starting to be 
borne by the uh, by the coaching staff. So I, I look to see some more improvement in, re- in future years. I think the athletic director there is is really doing a great job of giving support to this coaching staff. So. Mike, let's move on. Um, we've got a couple emails from our buddy, Andrew Parker. Um, I, I think we're only going to do one here, and we'll save maybe the next one for our, our next show. Um, Andrew sent a, a couple of great questions to us, and, and the first one I want to hit on is uh, the one that he sent us the day after his Tigers were eliminated from the college football playoffs. So uh, I don't know if he was trying to deflect or trying to cope or what the deal was, but uh, Andrew's email, and I quote, you need an email? You that bored? Well, as I wipe away my tears from last night, help me understand how a program with as much backing in history as UNC can't put forth a consistent program. It's always baffled me, and with the now Miami and Virginia Tech getting back on track, I have no confidence that they'll ever be a true competitor. Also, the best ACC bowl game was the Belk Bowl victory, go Deeks, and I'd say Louisville's loss to Mississippi State sets back the ACC's reputation more than Clemson's loss. Yeah, 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 thank you. Uh, go Tigers, 12-2, and two, still a dang good season. Andrew Parker, thank you for the email. Uh, Mike, thoughts on why UNC can't be a more consistent contender within the ACC? Uh, well, number one, I, I think the the budget and the facilities as far as football are concerned at North Carolina, it pales in comparison to those throughout the rest of the ACC. And that's what you ultimately have to recruit to. Um, Larry Fedora and his staff have done a really nice job recruiting in recent years. Um, North Carolina, as you'll remember, Joey, was supposed to be pretty decent this past year. We knew they were going to take a step back, but we thought that they'd still be in the five to seven win range. And, uh, you know, despite that, it, it you know, it just, kind of went off the rails when everybody got hurt. Uh, but why aren't they more successful? Well, they need to start winning in-state recruiting battles. They're not recruiting their state very well right now. I just mentioned that, you know, the reason why North Carolina was able to pull together a top 25 class this year is because Larry Fedora and his staff did a really nice job outside of the state of North Carolina. But, you know, I really believe in the ACC especially that, you know, these schools – and the schools that compete on a regular basis for the conference championship, they recruit their state well. And North Carolina needs to get back to that. In the last couple of years, they have not recruited their state well. Virginia Tech's taken a lot of their recruits. And as a result, North Carolina's play on the field has really deteriorated. There are only so many years where you're going to be able to pull um, the kind of athletes that you want to pull in from you know, other schools or, or from other states across the country. Uh, it's really important that you recruit your state. Well, North Carolina hasn't done that. And I think that's a major reason why they haven't been successful in recent years. And if they want to get back there, I think recruiting their state well, and, and then really just getting consistency from the quarterback position that they really haven't had since Marquise Williams left. Uh, that That's important for them too. And that's something that, that they're definitely going to have to figure out here sooner rather than later. As a total outsider here, and this maybe is an oversimplification to me, Mike, but another thing that sticks out to me is like you're always playing second fiddle at this school to the basketball program. Yep. Right? Like like UNC is the house that Jordan built. Um, it's the home of James Worthy. It's the home of, you know, some of the, R- Rashid Wallace and Jerry Stackhouse. And take your pick of these, you know, legendary college basketball players, pro football, pro basketball players even. People don't remember UNC as the place that Julius Peppers and Lawrence Taylor came from, right? Like nobody looks at that as like this, you know, budding football, uh, you know, story that's lasted for years and years. Um, And that's not to say that they haven't been a really strong program at times or even, you know, with some consistency through the years. It's just that 
you look at UNC, think sports, and you think of the Jordan logo that's on the football team's jerseys now, Mike. Like, you know, it, it is such a, a basketball identity there um, with really not even just football, like just o- overall sports, they've typically done very well. I'm not totally sure why that is. You could maybe make some guesses related to, you know, curriculum opportunities there. But in any yeah. case, um, Look, like this is a, a really successful athletic program in general, football notwithstanding, and yet they will always be dominated by the basketball program. And, and at that point, I mean, the basketball program is getting the best resources. They're getting a, a, the lion's share of the money that's coming in, and the the practice space, and the uh, you know the weight room, and and all these things, right? Like. Clearly, you know, the, the, the football program is not like the, the redheaded stepchild here. They're not just like totally ignored and they get some cool stuff, too. But, um, you know, you, you are always playing second fiddle as the football program at UNC. And I think to me, that's always going to show in the results. Like, I can't think of a place where basketball is really dominant and they also have a really dominant, consistent football program. Um, uh, you know, you talk about schools like Duke and Kansas and Arizona and you know, Kentucky, like all of them have really consistent dominant basketball programs. And any time that their football program jumps up, it's kind of a flash in the pan. Um, there's a couple, maybe you look at such as a Florida or a Louisville or a Michigan or something like that. But it's just, it's very unusual that you have any sort of big time consistency in football while your basketball program is, is one of these legendary top notch programs. No arguments here. <laughs> like I said, I mean, maybe that's an oversimplification and, and I, I'm sure there's a lot more to it. I ha- I'll be honest. I haven't done a ton of studying of the UNC athletic department and model and all that. So, you know, th- there's probably more to it than that, but I, I mean, I think you hit on some good points too, especially as it relates to recent years and kind of what's, what's plagued that, program but well I'll, t- I'll tell you what it already sounds like you've done more studying than most of their athletic department <laughs> by the way did you know that michael jordan was a geography major mike was he he was according to wikipedia and oh. you know i trust that um just you know throwing that out there i trust um, that about as much as i trust his geography degree <laughs> zing uh, yeah there you go uh, Mike, in the interest of time, uh, we're going to save Andrew's other email to our next show. He has a really good question regarding how we could rearrange cross-division rivalries uh, that I think you and I are both very interested in discussing as it relates to our, uh, our own program's uh, schedules. So we will do that next time. Uh, Mike, as we sit here recording this, it is the evening of February the 13th, meaning we're just a couple hours away from Valentine's Day. Uh, and as a result, I wanted to have a little bit of a Valentine's Day theme discussion. I'm going to call it meant to be versus just a fling. Um, I don't have a marketing degree. I'll promise you that. Um, so what I, what I want to know is we had a couple of hires in recent years that for one reason or another um, were very exciting for each individual fan base. And through varying quality of, of play for the first couple of years, you know, has, has provided different results. But what I want to know is for each of these coaches, are we talking about something that is going to going to really last for a long time or it's meant to be? Or is this something that is going to be a fairly short lived coaching stint uh, to where we're going to be talking about another change here in the next two, three, four years, maybe? Um, so relatively short term kind of thing. Are you ready? 
I am ready. All right. First up, we just talked about this here a minute ago. Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia. Uh, second year made a, made a bowl game. Obviously, there's some recruiting questions as to whether he can keep it up. Meant to be or just a fling? Just a fling, Joey. I'd be surprised if Mendenhall lasted two more seasons. I think I agree. I'll, I'll give him two two more seasons at least. I, I don't think that he – I don't think there's any reasonable scenario where he gets fired after uh, the 2018 season. Agree. Um, 2019 might be a different discussion. And also, damn it, Bronco, you better make a bowl game this year because it's going to look real bad if you're losing enough of these games with this schedule. Make the bowl game, buddy. Uh, I'm with you. I think just a fling. I'm not. I'm not high on his prospects moving forward. Number two, Dino Babers at Syracuse. Ooh, this is a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I really want to say meant to be. I do. I'm but with you. Was, I want this to work. I want this to work. He wants it to work. Syracuse wants it to work. Everybody wants it to work. Um, but they didn't make any sort of improvement in year two. Like, mm-hmm. no improvement whatsoever um, in record or otherwise. Oh, man. Uh, if Eric Dungey stays healthy and they have a good year this year, I think it's going to turn into meant to be. But I think for now, based on what I've seen on the field, it's got to be just a fling, Joey. Yeah, I think so. Unfortunately, um, I don't know. I'm with you. Like, this is one of those where, you know, the, the two friends have been dating for a while and you're like so happy about it, but you're like kind of detecting that maybe there's a couple of incompatibilities there. Like, I don't know. Like, I want this to work, but I, I don't know if it will. Um, I'm with you. I, I was kind of I was kind of bothered by the fact that we didn't see any progress. Really, it, it, it's more of a thing that the fact that we got through two full years and Syracuse's offense was entirely dependent on one player who's going to be a senior next year, and that being Eric Dungey, I don't feel great about it, Mike. Not and he's great. Never healthy. And he's never healthy. Yeah. Well, and it's it's partially because it's so dependent on him. Like the fact that for him, it's standing back there behind a questionable offensive line and then usually a, a one, maybe two reads and then take off and run and take a hit down the field. Like that is not sustainable. And, and I think that this. They need some improvement on defense, and they need a little more consistency in spreading the burden on offense. I think it could work, but that's—I mean—that's another school where you're talking about a, a historically, you know, pretty solid basketball program. And can a can a football program sustain success in 2018 alongside that? You know, maybe, maybe not. I'm not totally sure. Um, interesting one to discuss here, Mike. Mark Richt at Miami. And we're going to get hated on by Miami fans here, but meant to be or just a fling? Meant to be. Meant to be. thousand percent. He's an alum. They just won 10 games. If they had competent quarterback play, they would have won more than that. They would have at least beat Pittsburgh. I don't know about beating uh, uh, Clemson or Wisconsin, but they would have definitely beaten Pittsburgh and won 11 games. Uh, Yeah, meant to be. They're a quarterback away from being a real player and i think they're going to be in the conversation anyway can i give you what is going to sound like a little bit of a hot take mike oh boy i'm i'm suspicious here um so what we saw from mark rick at georgia i feel like there is some chance that that same thing could happen to him at miami being the guy that can never put the entire puzzle together is always going to come up a few pieces short 
and it's going to end up in a fan base that might get a little bit entitled and might run him off. Now, I don't know if that happens in, you know, another two to three years, but you know, I, sure. Yeah. They won 10 games this year, but how many of those are they one or two plays away from losing? And how much can he continue to live that way with a fan base that has high expectations and always kind of has, right? Um, I'm a little suspicious here. I'm a little suspicious. I, I think it's probably meant to be. And like you said, I mean, he's an alumnus and there's all sorts of reasons that it should work, but I, I'm a little, I, I'm not sold yet. Jury's still out here. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Then again, I kind of hate Georgia and he has Georgia roots. So, uh, you know, I'm biased, but anyways, last one, Mike, Willie Taggart in Florida state just hired. Um, we have zero data points to go off of really of, of any note or any merit. We have a recruiting class that he halfway put together, but not really. And not really with any notice. Is this going to work out? We got to get, got to make the judgment right now. Is this going to work out? Uh, I think two weeks ago I would have said just a fling, but since he was able to scrape together the pieces and hold it together with you know a really crappy glue stick and get that recruiting class signed and still have it be the third best class in the ACC, I think we have to say meant to be right now, right? I mean, we have no data points. This is a tough one. Um, but we do have a recruiting class that he, like you said, he halfway put together. And at the very least, he held it together. And, you know, credit where credit's due there, at least. So let's say meant to be. Let's do it. I think so, yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic about this one. Um, I'm very curious to see what this offense looks like because basically you're going to go from a very standard pro-style type of offense uh, to something that's a little more – um, a little more spread oriented, basically uh, still some power running elements and, uh, and some of those things, but also something that usually has some element of quarterback mobility involved and some stuff. So curious to see what he does there and how well it fits at Florida state or how easy the conversion is basically. But I think with the staff that he's going to put together there and uh, the recruiting that he's gonna be able to do there, give it a little bit of time and, I, I'm optimistic about what Willie Taggart's going to be able to do there. Again, we we talked about some reason for maybe skepticism with his lack of a track record with sustained success at places, you know, mostly just building it and then cutting and running. But um, I got no reason to think that he can't other than the fact that he hasn't. So I, maybe that's good enough for me. I think it's meant to be. I think it's meant to be. Sorry, Miami fans. Let's roll with it for now. <laughs> Fair. Uh Mike, that's all I got. Any others that you want to hit on? I think we're good. Paul Johnson in year 12. Meant to be or just a fling? Uh, you know what? I don't know. Let's, let's see if he can make it to year 13. Like, Yeah. Uh, at this point, everybody's jury is out on that one. You know, Nobody's really certain on the Georgia Tech fan base. I would tell you I think it's meant to be, but others would Russell. not be so sure. Russell Athletic jerseys. God, get rid of them now. We've, we, <laughs> we have seen Georgia Tech – for the last time in Russell athletic jerseys in an official sanctioned college football game, they'll still play them in the spring game, but uh, we are, we are officially done with Russell and thank God uh, that was always just a fling and it was always set for disaster. Georgia tech's brand. Uh, just a, no, no, I think it's meant to be. Um, I think Todd Stansbury is AD. I think is making some big, uh, 
big steps forward there. I, I, I like where they're going, and, and I'm uh, very optimistic at this point. Whereas a couple of years ago, I was just like, "How? Like, are you trying to be bad at this?" You know. So, right. um, I think we're in a good place. We're in a good place moving forward, and uh, and I like it. Nice. Yeah. What do you think, Justin? Uh, Justin Fuente. Uh, the only way it's just a fling is if he leaves for another school, and then jokes That's on us. I thought too. Yeah. yeah, jokes on us at that point. What would you put the so four years from now? Percent chance that Justin Fuente is still at Virginia Tech? Uh, I think the only way he leaves is if it's for the Oklahoma or the Oklahoma State job. Um, he's from there, which I, it gets overplayed. We know that. I mean, you're from one place, you played football there. Um, you know, I, I think that that gets overplayed quite a bit. Uh, you know, we've talked about this with the Dabo Swinney. Will he go to Alabama discussion? It's like, well, he's building Alabama at Clemson. I, you know, if Justin Fuente feels like he can build what he wants to build at Virginia tech, it has to be the perfect job for him to leave. So I'll say, 65 35 that he's at tech in four years uh, i still think it's much more likely than not but i do think he'll definitely entertain the offer if it's the right fit i'll go 70 percent. the fact that we're after year two already talking about you know him in, in the context of possibly other jobs like to me that says something i mean the, the only people that we've been doing that in the past with are like gary patterson and I don't know, like Gus Malzahn, maybe like, but Gary Patterson is probably about the only long-term guy that I can think of that has been at the same school for a long time and also been constantly discussed for other job openings. And for the record, Florida state called after Jimbo left for Texas A&M and Fuente or Fuente's agent basically said, nope, not interested. Didn't even talk to them about the job, Mm -hmm. which was a surprise to me. I thought he'd at least entertain it. Doesn't mean he'd have to go, but I thought he'd at least entertain it. He said, nope, no, thanks. I'm good here. Yeah, so that, that says something. That <laughs> that's that's a pretty top notch job, and if you're not willing to listen, that that kind of says something. So yeah, it says something now. Who knows about four years from now? But at least now he seems content where he's at. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. Mike, uh, you have any uh, Valentine's Day plans? Any sort of traditions that you and the uh, the lady hold? Uh, it's this going to sound ridiculous. Um, we so when we first started dating, we basically agreed okay valentine's day we're not gonna do anything like too too fancy we did it one year we went to like a really nice dinner and then we were like uh the dinner was just okay and and we were like all right let's like never do that again basically and now we're poor and right so um what we've done the last couple of years is we have gone to five like i don't know if you have five guys burger joints down where you're at oh hell yeah yeah Okay, so yeah, every year, so I don't get five guys that often at all, but every year at Valentine's Day, we like randomly go to five guys, which is pretty funny. So that's nice. That's our tradition. We've done that the last, I guess this will be a third year in a row we've done that. I saw that like McDonald's has like a Valentine's Day menu, which I think is like really badass. Not bad. Um, yeah, the wife and I, uh, we've got our own Valentine's Day tradition, and it doesn't always necessarily have to happen on Valentine's Day, but somehow when we first got uh, down to Houston after finishing school, like we were trying to come up with a Valentine's day plan. And the best we could think of was to just, there's a, uh, there's a, a movie theater chain down here called Alamo draft house. Uh, you know, really good food and good, you know, drink selection. We just go there and see a double feature. 
Um, so, you know, it hasn't always been again on Valentine's Day, but usually I'll pick a movie and she'll pick a movie and we'll go see them back to back and, uh, you know, enjoy that. So we're, we're not doing that on Valentine's Day this year. That's on a Wednesday and that's just kind of hard to work around. But uh, we're going to go do that on Sunday, probably in the afternoon, um, just go see two movies in a row. Uh, and uh, I don't know, thinking about seeing Black Panther, that should be fun. Nice. Um, yeah. And then she'll probably want to see the last Fifty Shades of Grey since that's been like the last two years, whatever we've gone and seen, which doing husband duty on, on, on uh, chaperoning that one. So, yeah, we, we call that taking one for the team. Mm, yes. Dilly dilly. Um, uh, well, Mike, enjoy your Valentine's day. Uh, I will try to do the same. Uh, we should come back and do this again sometime. Probably maybe hopefully not wait a full month as we kind of did last year, but who knows? We'll try to do this a little more frequently. Yeah, I think so. We come up with more stuff to talk about. And especially if you guys send us stuff to talk about, send us stories on Twitter or via email or whatever you got to do, you know, hit us up and we're happy to go talk about what you guys want to talk about. Uh, Andrew Parker, I promise we'll get to your other email next time. Uh, again, cross divisional rivalries. I think it's a really good topic that we we definitely should hit on in the off season. It's a good one. Uh, Mike, anything else before we get on out of here? I am all set, Joey. Sweet. As am I. Been a good uh, good little discussion here. Uh, we will be back to have another one. And in the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. That's a change. change. Uh, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email to the longest email address known to man, and it is basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yep, please do. Uh, you could go find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. Mike, tell them where they can find us on the social medias. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there and also rate and review us on the other podcast platforms. Really helps us. It sure does. And we would have very much appreciated that if you would uh, would do that. Thank you very much. Um, Mike, you can also find us on YouTube. Uh, go find just search for basketball conference on there. We don't have a fancy URL or anything like that. One day we might get to hundred subscribers and, uh, and, and then we will and make it easy for you. But um, for what it's worth, this podcast probably not going to be published on there. Um, you'll come to find out as you listen to this podcast long enough that we tend to talk about technology issues fairly frequently. Uh, this is another case of those where uh, we've had some camera wonkiness going on. And so probably not the best for a viewing experience at the very least, but um, you know, Go find other stuff we posted there. We posted all the team recaps and a couple other things there. So go check that out. Elephant in the room. It's my camera. So yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't gonna throw you under the bus there, but I appreciate you know, that. I, I do. But I mean, next time it'll be me. So I, I'm not. Uh, I don't. We don't need to play the blame game on here. <laughs> I, I I choose to blame the technology gods. How about that? Yeah, that's cool. Sweet, Mike. That's all I got. You want to come back and do this again soon? Yes. I don't know what we'll talk about, but we'll figure it out. Oh, there's always something to talk about. We'll, we'll, we'll do that and we'll figure something out. And if not, you know, we trust the people. We'll send us some stuff to talk about as well. So we'll talk then. Sounds good. Bye. All right. Well, until next time for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Bye.